0: Okay, uh, if you're new to Greater Alton, if this is your first time with us, my name's Alan and I and we are really glad that you guys are here. We're in the middle of a sermon series called what? What? what is, what's the name of this series? Awesome, awesome. You guys are catching on so quick. Actually, I've got cheat sheets up here. You can just read it. So what's going on? Every week I tell you, you know, what sermon series we're in. And it's kind of important that we remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. As a congregation, we're serious about trying to figure out what Jesus wants and to do it. It's not around here just about what we're supposed to believe or what we're supposed to say. We're really wanting to know what does Jesus want us to do and the biggest collection in one place in the Bible That gives us direction is the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Sermon on the Mount and in there There are some things that are difficult to understand And as we've gone through this each week, we've looked at You know, how does Jesus answer this question? You want me to do what? And we found out that he wants us to help him change the world We found out that he wants many different things. I won't try to read through all the list or remember every title we've gone through. But if you were paying attention to what Nathan just read, and it's just the next thing that Jesus covers, it's pretty obvious that Jesus wants us to pray. Did you get that from what Nathan read? Okay, so does knowing that Jesus wants us to pray make it easy to do? (laughs) Yeah, how many of us struggle with prayer? Yeah, and it's one of those, like, I don't really want to tell people I struggle with this. You know, because that might say something about it. I don't know, we get insecure about it, right? And what I have found over the years is, we're all sort of on this spectrum whenever it comes to prayer. At one end, we've got people that just seem to be naturals. You know, they're, they, they're like a gopher in soft dirt, man. They are just loving it. And they're the people that you look for whenever you need prayer. You know, they like to pray. They like to pray. They seem natural at it. They seem good at it. At the other end of the spectrum, you have people that maybe they feel like uh, they're a little unsure. Maybe a little bit confused by prayer. Don't always know what to say or how to say it. And maybe even sometimes dread it just a little bit. Now, if I was going to tell the truth, which is not something I like to do very often, but if I was going to tell the truth, I'd have to say more often than not, I have found myself on the end of that spectrum that's more unsure. A little uncomfortable with it. And yet, Jesus goes out of his way to teach us about prayer so that we don't have to be confused. We don't have to be unsure and we definitely don't have to dread it. And typical jesus here there's more here than meets the eye as we look at and look into the passage that nathan just read so today we're going to be talking about i want you to pray and we're going to look at what jesus is teaching us about prayer so jesus gives us a prayer but he also tells us some things that we should know about prayer first of all jesus assumes that we are going to pray Did you catch that? He starts this off by saying, and when you pray. He didn't say, and if you pray. He said, and when you pray. Why do you think Jesus just assumes that we're going to pray? It's a good question to ask, right? Well, maybe at least partly because almost everybody does pray. Did you know that? There are survey after survey after survey about Americans, and really this is true all over the world, but just in in our town, in our area, and in our nation, we have more people who pray than who claim to be Christians. We have more people who pray that don't go to church, don't go to a mosque, even atheists report that they pray. I don't know about you guys, but I've prayed with atheists at their request they've asked me to sit and to talk with them but Jesus I mean I think that's true and that may be part of the reason why Jesus assumes we're going to pray because just naturally we look for some help outside of ourselves what's the old saying Wayne there's no atheist in a foxhole (laughs) you know whenever whenever you're under press you when you're under stress and under pressure sometimes Even the most hardened person will look for help from somewhere and reach out. But the crowd that Jesus, in context, the crowd that Jesus is preaching this sermon to, they prayed all the time. His original hearers were taught to pray. And they prayed all the time. But here's the thing. Jesus wants me to pray differently. There's a common way that's common to all humans, apparently, to pray. And that's not what Jesus wants me to do. Jesus wants me to pray differently. There's something distinct about the Christian prayer. And I think I've found at least three ways that we're supposed to pray differently. The first one is, Jesus wants my prayers to be short. And I don't think it's because he wants us to beat the Baptists to Applebee's. How many of us got an amen on the short prayer thing? Right on, Jesus. Because if you've ever been trapped in a long prayer, you're like, oh, come on. (laughs) Get to the end. But I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. What he says in verse 7 is he says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So who's he contrasting distinctive Christian prayer with? The Gentiles. That they were familiar with how the Gentiles prayed. And he says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. How many of you have ever been trapped in a prayer that was seemingly needlessly long? It's like, oh man, come on. Well apparently that was the normal way for the Gentiles to pray. Actually they've got still in existence Greek and Roman documents from that time that records some prayers. Have you ever read any of these circa first century Greek and Roman prayers? It goes page after page after page. I mean, it goes a really long time. The reason for that, they, they thought that their gods were moody and petty and unpredictable. And so they would keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. Because they wanted to butter up their gods. They wanted to get their gods to care. And Jesus said, I don't want you to do that. You don't need to do that. I want your prayers to be different. And it does seem to me that Jesus did value short prayers. How long did it take? How long does it take to pray the Lord's Prayer? How long did it take Nathan? He actually added an extra paragraph. Yeah, five seconds maybe. I mean, I'm not a fan of... of, We'll get into this. I, I, I'm not a fan of just machine gunning it to see how fast you can do you ever, By the way, we've seen long prayers. Have you ever sat down at a table where there's a race to see how fast you can say the same prayer? <laughs> Did it leave you feeling edified or connected with God? No, it, got, it was like, this is the thing that's in the way of me getting to my food is usually when that happens. I don't think that he's, he's into it for that. But Jesus gave the same prayer essentially that we just heard Nathan read over in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. It's even shorter than what we just read in Matthew. It goes this way. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So John the Baptist is who they're referring to there. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. And there was something about the way that Jesus was praying that caused his disciples to say, hey, teach us to pray different too. You know, you pray differently, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Is that the same prayer? And it's a little bit shorter. It's still the Lord's Prayer, right? How do we know it's the Lord's Prayer? Who prayed it? It was the Lord in both passages, right? So it's the Lord's Prayer. And he's, he's specifically instructing them. Jesus seems to value short prayers. Does that seem odd to you? He seems to value short prayers. But the world around us sometimes still to this day thinks that the longer prayers are the more righteous. The ones that get heard. Jesus wants us to pray differently. He wants our prayers to be short. Jesus wants us to know that we don't need to convince God to care. He's our father. He already cares. We don't have to waste a whole bunch of words to build a case to motivate him. To take up our our causes. He's our father. We don't need to butter him up with long prayers. And beating the Baptist to the Applebees is, is just a, a bonus. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jesus wants my prayers to be sweet. This is the second thing I notice about what he teaches us about prayer. He wants my prayers to be short and sweet. What do I mean by sweet? Well, he wants me to start by addressing God as our Father. That's personal. It's relational. It's intimate. We're reminding ourselves of all of that relationship that we have. How many of you parents have ever had a child get mad at you and call you by your first name and not, or not dad or mom? It hurts, doesn't it? God doesn't want us to address him as something that's not close. There's a sweetness whenever you hear your kid call you, even when my kids are 33 now. If I hear my kids say, Dad, there's a part of me that melts a little. There's a part of me that warms because it reminds me of that intimacy that's there. And there's a sweetness that's to it. And Jesus wants us to pray like that. Not like we're praying to this this dispassionate, moody, vindictive God, this this deity that doesn't care about us. He wants us to pray a sweet prayer, short and sweet. Thirdly, Jesus wants my prayers to be simple. So the three things I think that are different about the kind of prayer that Jesus wants us to pray. He wants it to be short. He wants it to be sweet. And he wants it to be simple. Did you catch anything complicated in Jesus' prayer in either Matthew or Luke? Was it really complicated? No. Well, until you drill down on it, there's some thinking that has to be done here. There's more than meets the eye, I guarantee you. It's like... If you've studied out the Lord's Prayer, I'm convinced there's like a universe inside this prayer for us to unpack. Don't worry, I'm not going to attempt to unpack that universe today. I'm just going to try to show you a couple things out of it. But before you get there, it is still a simple prayer. It wasn't complicated. It's so simple that we can easily remember it. You can memorize the Lord's Prayer. How many people already in here already have it memorized? Look at that. Most of us can call it up out of memory. It's not a complicated prayer. So does this break the mold of what we typically think about with prayer? Short, sweet, and simple. Yeah, that caught me as a surprise. Actually, I thought maybe there'd be more to it than that. But Jesus is asking us to pray differently, which means short, sweet, and simple. Okay. Here's the question that comes up. Does Jesus want me to pray this prayer? In some faith traditions, there's, yeah, you're going to pray the Our Father. How many of you were raised with that? How many of you, like me, were raised to throw stones at people like you? (laughs) Is there any, does Jesus want me to pray this prayer specifically. Well, let's look at that for a second. In Matthew, Jesus says, pray then like this. But Luke says, when you pray, say. So does he want us to pray this prayer or not? I don't know. If you were looking for me to, to put that, I used to feel really sure that no, no, you He's just giving us a template. He's just giving us a... But I'm looking at this now going, I can see merits on both sides of that argument with a couple of caveats. With a little bit of thinking involved here. So all I can tell you definitively is, I don't know. So I hope that helps you. <laughs> but what I do know, I don't know if Jesus wants us to pray his prayer verbatim in a memorized fashion or not. But what I do know is... That Jesus has been pushing us to the heart of God this entire sermon. So he, do, he obviously doesn't want us to pray a mindless, mechanical, magical incantation. You with me on that? He's not into cheap, mechanical, mindless prayers. So the next question I come up with when I start thinking down this line is, are memorized prayers always mindless and mechanical? Well, they can be, can't they? But they aren't always, are they? The people Jesus is teaching this to had been raised with memorized prayers. Wayne calls this telling the story. I call it context. For us to understand anything, we need to see it in its context, right? And the three rules of understanding anything, and this applies to the Bible, is who wrote it, who they write it to, what did it mean to them, Now, what does it mean to me? Right? Or a shorter, what? So what? Now what? (laughs) Okay. It is, again, simple, but yet it takes a little bit of effort. So the people that Jesus is talking to, we need to tell a little bit of their story to understand how they might have heard Jesus' instruction on praying this prayer. Did you know that all of Jesus' disciples at this point in this lesson were Jews? Probably most of you knew that. But did you know that the Jews had been taught for generation after generation to pray memorized prayers? In fact, they prayed the Shema, which was like the gold standard of their memorized prayers. They prayed it three times a day. Actually, they they prayed it at 9 a.m. They had it this specific. And there was a reason for this, by the way, and I'm not going to try to unpack this. But there were things that were going on in the temple at the time that they were praying as a nation. So they would pray the Shema at 9 a.m. in the morning, and they would pray it again at 3 p.m., which was the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple. In between times at noon, I I actually, to be more technically accurate, they prayed the Shema and something called the Tefillah twice a day, morning and afternoon. The Tefillah is basically a series of 18 blessings. You know what the Shema sounds like? I'll give it to you. It's in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. You'll recognize it immediately. They were told that they were to pray this: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the prayer. But here's some instructions that follow in verses six and seven. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Is that short? Yeah, it's not quite as short as Jesus's prayer, but it's short. They had it memorized. And it had an effect on them. They would follow it with the blessings. But these were memorized memorized prayers that they had. Now at noon, they prayed just the blessings, the tefillah. But after the blessings, that's when they would introduce their personal requests. So then they were free to ad-lib. Then they were talking about, I need this. I'm concerned about that. But this was the crowd that Jesus was talking to and teaching them to pray differently, to pray short, sweet, and simple prayers. They were used to praying three times a day the Shema and the Tefillah. Something happened to these people when they prayed, memorized prayers repeatedly, but not in a mindless or mechanical way. Can you guess what it would be? It shaped their thoughts. It shaped their thoughts. It shaped their worldview. It shaped their internal language. You know what I mean by that? Self-speak. The way you talk to yourself, you talk to yourself, don't you? Yeah, it's not just me. I don't talk back, but I I hear an internal voice sometimes telling me things that aren't true. Is that just me or is that also you? But these folks were finding wherever they prayed... Even a memorized prayer regularly, intentionally, without racing through it, without being mechanical, without making it into an incantation, that it had an internal effect, or at least it could. If they prayed it sincerely, it had an uh, obvious change on them. It focused them on who God is and what their responsibility to him is. There was a lot to this. See, the Shema was a spiritual discipline and a reminder that changed their whole orientation. Personally, I do pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray it a couple of different ways. This is just for free. I'm just telling you how I'm trying to practice this myself. I'm not about to tell you that you have to do it my way. I'll I'll just tell you what I've been doing and what the results have been. I pray the Lord's Prayer a couple of different ways. Sometimes I pray the Lord's Prayer... And I talk to God about it after. Sometimes I pray the Lord's Prayer and I talk to God about it during. Yet sometimes I don't make it much past our Father. Before I gotta start unpacking the reality of that. Which leads me to pray it real slow. Our Father. This is an example. Our Father. Why are you asking me to say our Father and not my Father? Who's our? Who all does that include? How important is this our <laughs> feature to my life if I'm supposed to begin to address you as our Father? Am I thinking of our like you want me to? That's how my prayer goes sometimes. Who is in heaven? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And almost always what comes after my after that in mine is, and man, let it happen in me. Because God, I still don't do your will. I mean, there's the, there's the obvious stuff I don't even know I'm doing wrong, but there's the things I do know. <laughs> and I still don't do like I should. I'm so inconsistent. You see how this prayer, how I'm doing it. So I'm not just ripping it off so I, so I can... Make sure I've got my little check in the box. But I'll tell you another thing I've started to do recently. I started praying it three times a day. Now, before I learned about this Shema thing and the 9 a.m. and the noon and the 3 p.m., I just found myself, as I've studied the kingdom of God and Jesus' teachings, I found myself waking up and praying and just telling God how much I really want to see his kingdom come. Because I really do. And I noticed it changed me. It made me sensitive to things. It made me start seeing things. That, I was, that were there. But I wasn't always seeing them. And my passion. For seeing God's justice. And his kingdom invading this earth. Began to grow. It's helped to shape my thoughts. Doing it three times a day. I don't lock myself in. To nine noon and three. I don't know if that's necessary but usually sometime in the morning i have some version of the lord's prayer that i talk with him about and i just gave you a couple of examples and i've noticed that it changes the way my day begins and whenever i get to somewhere around lunchtime oh (laughs) i should pray that again and it causes me to slow down and stop thinking about everything else that's spinning And it brings me back to a different world view. It's not all about taking care of this job or that job or the other. And then around 3 p.m., I find that whenever I'm praying that, I sometimes run into people. And that prayer influences the way I dealt with that person. I'm just throwing that out to you to let you know I think it's helping me focus on God and my responsibilities to him. Maybe it would work that way for you too. It is the pattern of God's people even before Jesus. And whenever Jesus teaches this crowd to pray differently, it's a backdrop of people who pray repeatedly a memorized prayer three times a day. You make of that what you will. But here's the next natural question that comes from this teaching. If God already knows, because this is what Jesus says, he says, "You don't have to have these long, complicated, drawn-out prayers. God already knows what you need before you ask." What's the natural question that comes to most of our minds? If the Father already knows what I need before I ask Him, why does Jesus want me to pray? How many times has that been the part that caused you the confusion? How how, how often has that little pearl caused you to have problems praying? What a wildly different perspective we have than Jesus. Jesus, Here's the answer to the question I think. Jesus wants me to talk to my Father. And Jesus' perspective is so radically different than ours. We ask, why do I need to pray? And I think Jesus would say, God already knows. So just talk to him. He already knows, so just talk, for goodness sakes. As parents, we can relate, can't we? We want our, how many of you guys want your kids to talk at you and not to you? (laughs) I know I want my kids to talk to me. I want to have, help them see things they can't see. If they're talking at me all the time, I don't think they care much about what I have to say. And yet, that's what we can run into in our attitudes towards God if all we think about him is the power and the source and the one who's responsible for this whole mess anyway. And why do I need to ask him to do anything if he's already got it? I mean, he's more invested than me. And I don't know that much anyway. You see where we're going? It's about a relationship. And talking to God changes my perspective. Talking to God, just talking with Him, talking to Him, changes how I look at things. Okay, I've already used about 20 minutes. I need to get into the prayer. Uh, Jesus gives us a prayer. And rather than go through the Lord's Prayer line by line, I know you guys have heard lots of lessons going through the Lord's Prayer line by line and looking at all all the elements. Rather than do that, I thought what I'd like to do is maybe take that 30,000 foot view this morning and just point out that this prayer is actually divided into two halves. Did you catch it? The first half, Jesus wants me to pray for thee. I'm just you, if you don't if you've never read the King James, you might be lost as what I mean by that. He wants me to talk about God. He wants me to pray about what God's interested in. In Matthew 6:33, we'll get there eventually. Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." All these other things will be added to you as well. Whenever I pray, the Lord reminds me that first on my lips and in my heart shouldn't be me. It should be thee. And my my perspective, whenever I talk with God changes, and all of a sudden my worldview and my orientation begins to change, and his kingdom becomes the most important thing, not my kingdom. And how many besides me have been guilty of praying? And when we really boil it down, we're asking God to advance my kingdom, not his. Yeah, it's not just me, huh? Secondly, Jesus wants me to pray for we. Jesus wants me to pray for thee, and he wants me to pray for we. If you check it out, maybe get out your pencil and look in your notes, circle for me the personal pronouns In either one of Jesus' prayers, Matthew or Luke. Why am I pointing this out? Because I think we read it, our Father, but we pray it, my Father. I think we read it, give us our daily bread, but we pray it, give me my daily bread. We read it, forgive us our sins, But we pray it, forgive me, my sins. Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah, isn't that weird? How did we slip that gear and get over (laughs) into that? So the two halves of Jesus' prayer are to pray about God and to pray about us, we. Is that a different kind of prayer? But it brings up another question. What about me? Me is part of we. Very good. You're a thinker. I love it. What about me? Am am I never supposed to pray for personal needs and cares? Is that what Jesus is teaching us? I'm never... No, of course not. In Judaism, there was still time to bring your personal request to God. Remember that noontime prayer? They'd pray the blessings, the Tefillah, And then afterwards, they'd bring their personal request. We're still told in Christianity, in the new covenant, to bring our personal requests to God. Philippians 4, 6 is an example. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Does that sound like a memorized prayer? No. Is that exclusive to, uh, you know, to thee and we? Or does that also include me? Yeah, it does. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Is that whatever a limited request? Whatever, I think, means whatever. I think that Jesus wants us to pray other prayers too. And there's time for me in my prayers. Romans 8, 26, Paul said, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So this is not just pray for thee and we. I am supposed to pray for me too. The Lord's Prayer doesn't eliminate those other kinds of prayers that we just saw in Scripture. But Jesus wants me to pray a prayer That changes my thoughts. That challenges my worldview and changes that. And that changes my internal language. That self-speak. Ultimately, who's that about? Me. So while the two halves of the Lord's Prayer are thee and we, it changes me. It's about me in that way. Have you ever noticed that when you pray prayers that are all about you, that you can still be filled with worry and and anxiety? I've had how many conversations in this very room with people who are talking about, I'm catching myself, I'm praying for God to take care of something, and then I'm still obsessed and worried about it. Could it be because we're making our prayers all about me instead of thee and we? And praying for thee and we... Is actually still about me, but it changes me. So what's in it for me? There are three D's. These are preacher points, by the way. Make, make your points all rhyme with something or start with the same letter. So here we go, my attempt at it. Three D's that are in it for me. By the way, I never claim to be a preacher. I'm just on the spot and so I'm here trying to help. And I'm really just trying to share with you what I'm learning as I try to follow Jesus. I don't know all the answers. I'm just welcoming you into my journey and hoping that you can get something good out of it. Here are three D's that you can get out of this. Here's what's in it for me. The first D is I will be devoted to the prayers. I will be devoted to the prayers. Acts 2.42 gives us a glimpse into the history of the church. It tells us, it's a kind of a history book, and it tells us what the first church was like. It says... Those first disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The prayers. If you have the NIV, it doesn't do you a lot of favors because I believe it still renders it to prayer. But I did, I'm, I'm not a Greek student, but there are lots of resources where you can go back and look at the, at the, the original language and you can look at different translations and the literal translation, the original words, is plural. I was always taught prayer. But it says the prayers. Could it be something like the Shema? Except for this. The early church was devoted to the prayers. And according to the writings of the early church leaders. They had replaced the Shema with the Lord's Prayer. And when we read through Acts and you see. Uh, we're told that they were praying. Guess what times they're praying? Three noon and and nine a.m. They seem to be devoted to this kind of a lifestyle. What, what does what does devoted mean? Did a little research on that word. It encompasses two other primary things: it's commitment, but it's also affection. If I'm devoted, I can be committed to Seth. That doesn't mean I like him. You know, I can be committed to my wife. It means doesn't necessarily mean that I have any affection for her. I discovered this when I was struggling to have any affection for a brother in this congregation. And I was looking at those one another scriptures. And I got nailed like a two before pop right in the head. I had no problem being committed to this brother. But I really had a hard time having any good feelings towards him. I had no affection. And I realized, oh man, I gotta change this. I gotta start, by the way, praying for that brother, confessing it, spending a little time with him, changed that. And now I am devoted to that brother. I still have the commitment, but I have an affection. It's one of my sweeter relationships that I have. And these prayers, I think, change our feelings. The three D's in it for me, to pray like Jesus wants us to pray, I think the first one is it's going to change your feelings. Maybe you dread, or you're unsure, or uncomfortable with prayer. Wouldn't you like to feel affection for it? Maybe Jesus is giving us a road map about how to let that feeling begin to change. I don't—he he didn't zap me to all of a sudden change this relationship with this brother. But I had to step out in faith. And I don't think God's going to change us like zap us with a lightning bolt about our prayer life. But I do believe if we step out in faith, we slow that prayer down, commentate on it, use it as a template. One of the many forms, but if we begin to pray this, especially if we start doing it with regularity more than once a day, maybe like the first century Christians, we'll actually develop an affection We'll become devoted, not just committed, but our feelings will change. That's the first D, I think, that's in it. Two, second D, I will be developed by the prayers. I'll be developed by the prayers. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it records, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They were challenging Jesus. They were trying to trip him up. And they were asking him. And it, like today, a lot of times we go, okay, well, there's a lot of rules. Which one's the one that ties the others together? Which one's the greatest one? Which one should I focus on? Because there's a lot of targets out there. And they're, they're trying to trap him. At least I think that's what they were doing. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. Did Jesus make that up? Come up with it off the hip? And it had already been said before and he says, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. By the way, when he says like it, he's not saying, okay, here's your number one and number two. He's still answering the same question. This is the greatest command. It's got two parts. And it sums up the whole Bible. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor As yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus just again short. He's he's great with brevity. He just told us the whole will of God that had that had been revealed revealed through all the law and all the prophets. Love God, love people. That's the greatest command. The Lord's prayer follows that exact layout. Remember, I showed you the two halves. The and we, God and people. Did you catch that? I think there's a really big connection there, but I'm not going to keep talking about it because I'm running out of time. But I will say this. If I'm praying, especially if I'm doing it three times a day, about loving God and loving people, do you think I will begin to become more loving? I think so, as long as I'm not making it mechanical or trying to recite it like a magical incant- incantation. If I say these words, I'll be loving. <laughs> no. No, that's not going to work like that. 3D. 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 d 3rd I will be deployed by the prayers. I'll be deployed by the prayers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You guys are familiar with this. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what? Oh, he didn't say sit there in a closet and pray. I thought we were told to go into our closet and pray. What's this go into all the world stuff? Uh, There's a connection between prayer and going. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Which, by the way, what we're taking a stab at this morning and in this lesson series is exactly that last phrase. Teaching disciples, because we got a boatload of disciples in this room, to obey everything that he's commanded. I wish he was here doing the teaching. Instead, you got failed, flawed humans that don't really see that clearly or understand that fully and we're just doing the best we can. But we're in pursuit of obeying what Jesus says here. But here's my question. If I'm praying, especially three times a day, for our Father's kingdom to come, do you think I'll begin to see evangelistic opportunities and discipling opportunities? I think so. In fact, I want to uh, call your attention to something that's coming up in December. Nathan and Chuck involved with the prayer ministry, the drive-by prayers, with Susan. Uh, Chuck was telling me a little bit more about it this morning it was being involved in praying for people and praying with people that got him and Chuck to thinking. And they were like, what can we do to be evangelistic? It's not, how can I just pray and leave it in God's hands? It sensitized them to meeting needs. And so what they're going to be doing to act out on that is on December 11th, which is a Saturday, they're going to be having a breakfast. Uh, what Would you call it a good news breakfast a good news. I love that name a good news breakfast, and it's not for you <laughs> Yes, you could come but you got to bring somebody that doesn't know Jesus No, you can come anyway, but the if the, the emphasis on it is not about us just having a good time together and Eating some biscuits and gravy the idea is to reach out to people that might be curious about what it is to be a Christian And we are in a tumultuous time in our society. And there are more people now who really do not know what being a Christian is about. Who really do not know. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard a lot of wrong stuff about Jesus. And they're curious. And there are people who don't even know where to begin. And are even afraid. And a plate of biscuits and gravy and a cup of coffee can knock down barriers and open up doors. And these guys are living this third D. They're being deployed by the prayers. And they're inviting you, by the way, to get involved and be deployed as well. December 11th. Look for it in the announcements. You'll see more on that. If I'm going to be deployed, if I'm praying, especially three times a day, for our Father's will to be done, I'm just walking through some of the elements in the Lord's Prayer here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If I'm praying, your will be done. Especially three times a day. Do you think I will begin to see opportunities to do his will? What if I'm praying, you know, our father, give us our daily bread, us, our daily bread. And I look in my refrigerator and I got plenty of bread in my kitchen. But I look over here and I see Brian and he doesn't have much. Do you think that prayer might cause me to be sensitized and deploy me to meet a brother's need? Or maybe even outside of this church. You know, this redirecting of contributions this month, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week because oddly enough, Jesus' next point that he's going to get to is about I want you to invest. And we're trying to do something with that here this month of November and we're going to talk a little bit about, again, being deployed by Jesus in his prayers. But it changes me. It changes me whenever I pray like Jesus wants me to pray. And it gets me involved. If I'm praying, three times a day especially, for our Father to forgive us our debts. By the way, I found this to be kind of freaky. Because I am so used to saying, God, forgive me because I know all of my sin. And I'm talking, forgive me my sin. I don't even know how to tell you about it. But the difference that it made whenever I started praying for our sin. For God to forgive us our sin. And then the real sledgehammer was whenever I had to say, like, we forgive other people. Because, ooh, <laughs> the way some of you guys forgive, I hope I get forgiven better than that. I don't mean to, I struggle with it too. But boy, it, I mean, it kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit, praying like Jesus wants you to pray. But do you think if I'm praying that prayer three times a day, I'm going to be more serious about letting Jesus redeem my most difficult relationships? About not counting it against the guy who wants to offend me. Not To say nothing about the guy that just accidentally offends me. See, being devoted to the prayers is going to change me because it's going to change my internal self-speak and my worldview. And it's not going to be all about me. Instead, those prayers and talking to my Father, to our Father, will change me. Okay. And if I'm praying, especially three times a day, for our Father to lead us not into temptation but to deliver us from evil, do you think I'll begin to see people who need encouragement to stay strong? I think so too. Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to pray differently. I don't think he wants to lock us into one prayer. But I think he wants us to go back to his prayer again and again and again in some way and to let talking with God this way Changes. Jesus wants me to connect with God. The way Jesus wants me to pray will move me out of my own way. And get me on the same page as God. The way Jesus wants me to pray will move me to love God and to love other people. And we've talked about what love is. Jesus has given us some information on that too. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. It's an action. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The way Jesus wants me to pray will move me to, will, will move the way Jesus wants me to pray is intimate, personal, and transformative and the way that Jesus wants me to pray will take me to the heart of god, and that 's where i 'll be renewed and restored to his image bearer with that i 'd like to pray and end this lesson, Heavenly Father. Uh, Again, there is just so many layers, a whole universe of truth in this very short, sweet, simple prayer that Jesus gave us. Father, I, I just scratched the surface in my own study, and I did even less than that here this morning. But Father, I pray that you'll give us hearts that can, ears that can hear, and hearts that are soft that you can mold. I pray that you'll you'll make us a praying people. That we will pray for you, that we'll pray for thee, and that we'll pray for we. And we'll allow that combination to change me. Father, make us lovers like Jesus. Lovers of you, lovers of other people. And may you be glorified in all of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.